Welcome to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watched our game and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing. Better to do so. Listen, here's our show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Probing the Wormhole with me, Malika, new to this series and 90s sci fi in general, and Rose, a super fan of Stargate. Happy to be here. And Sam, another super fan of Stargate. Today, we're going to be talking about episode 11 Bloodlines. We open on the priests who in the past I've called the turtle men and they do not disappoint, but there's a boy on the altar and it looks like he's about to get a gauled larva and Tilk is calling a name. Rake? Rack? Ryak. 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 But then it turns out it's a dream sequence and Tilk is actually on examination table. And it turns out that my favorite doctor had to put the gaul back into him because he was starting to die. I think she was trying to replace his immune system, right? I mean, I imagine whatever drugs they've been developing for like treatment of HIV would be a good place to start. Oh, yeah. So was he communicating with his son or was this a vision he had? How did he get the information that his son was undergoing this implantation i think he knew that this it was going to be on this day i don't think it was like a vision i think it was like of something that's happening uh at the exact same time on shellac Julak. Julak. Chulak. I wrote it down. I just it's not on this page of it. No, it should be called Chillac, the Chillax planet from Chulak. here on. I would have preferred Chillac. Um on <laughs> Chulak. And but he knew that what's his name again? Ray Ryak. Ryak. He knew that Ryak was going to have this happen to him because he was coming of age. So and we do learn later that points in which your symbiote is removed, like sort of trigger intense visions or dreams or hallucinations. So that kind of is consistent. Okay. So, yeah. So it seems like Dr. Frazier is, they're trying to get that gold out of him and figure out a way for him to survive without the symbiote. And this doesn't really work. Well, the people at Langley really wanted to study it, right? Yeah. That was the, the urgency. So when Tilk wakes up, Daniel asks why he was calling out Ryak. Ryak. This is, you know, it took, it's taking me like 11 episodes to get Tilk down. So <laughs> Ryak is, just wait till we get to the lady's name. Fuck that. <laughs> um, and Tilk says uh, it means nothing. Tilk is lying. That was my first thought. Yeah. It, it, it was a little uneasy about that because he, he had to have also lied to the people who debriefed him. Apparently, we find out that he actually was debriefed. As he should have been. Yeah. So Tilk proposes going back to Chulak 
of course, Hammond says no. So then we're in Tilk's room and he's meditating or praying at this little candle shrine. <laughs> so wait, have we, is this the first time we're seeing the Kelnarim? Okay. So there's this thing called Kelnarim, which is the meditation practice that he has to do. It's like, it's like Jaffa sleeping, right? Like he has to meditate to like commune with his gold and that's what keeps him all in balance. But I don't think we've seen that before. So this is the first time we're seeing that. So are the candles necessary to this meditation? Apparently he's always has candles. Yeah. This is, this is the least amount of candles <laughs> we will see in his room when he's meditating. Let me warn you. About that. <laughs> For an underground bunker, it seems like a major fire. Hazard. Oh yeah. <laughs> I feel like somebody would be like, you can't do this with the candles. Sorry. Here's some yeah. lights. Or flameless candles. Did, were they around? Maybe they weren't made yet. The flameless candles. I feel like we think of the nineties as like a hundred years ago. It feels <laughs> like a hundred years ago, but I feel like they, they probably had the technology for like flameless candles then. I wish that they had explained that because this, it seemed weird to me. It that always he- still seems weird. Even when you get the explanation. So I, I had a question. Why, what made O'Neill go to Teal'c's room to talk to him? Did Teal'c leave, leave the meeting in a huff? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he left before Hammond dismissed everyone. Oh, I see. When Hammond said no, he just jumped up and walked out. And so O'Neill wanted to go fix that since they're buddies. Yeah, O'Neill knows something's up. And so in this, in Tilk's room is when we find out that Tilk has a son and a wife. I thought it was heartbreaking. I, I just figured that Jafaz didn't have families and I had no idea that he would have also had a wife. Yeah. And you can kind of understand why he didn't talk about it. So he, did, he said he didn't talk about it because then the Tari would think he was compromised, right? Because if, if he has a family back there, then he could be, what, blackmailed or lured back or something. Oh, yeah. I could definitely see Apophis just grabbing his wife and kid and saying, if you don't come back and tell me the secrets of the Tare, I'm going to kill your family. He didn't. Do- he, I don't think he does that, which I'm, is a little surprising. Wait till season three. No, wait. Season two. There is an episode where. Yeah, I, I, know, I think I know what them. you mean. He's yes. not really threatening to kill. Well, never mind. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> We do. It's not the first time. This is not the last time we see Ryak. Oh, good. I yeah. like. I, I really like this O'Neill Teal dynamic. Like they seem very much like they understand each other. They're both warriors. They Teal or um, O'Neill completely trusts Teal. He even when he finds this out, he's like, "Well, how are we supposed to trust you now when you hid this from us?" But he still does trust him. He he's just you know kind of worried about how the rest of his military command is going to treat him. <laughs> So at this time, we find out that um, his son is of the age that he will be implanted with the Garuld symbiote. Um, And Tilk sees this as creating a new slave, a slave out of his son. So you kind of have to look at it as here is a Black man talking about um, enslaving his child. I mean, you can't separate the color, right? From I mean, there are Jaffa that are white, but this is Tilk, a black guy, talking about enslaving his son. 
Yeah. And I wonder if that was like an intentional choice. Like, yeah, there definitely are Jaffa that are white. And I, I, although initially they presented the Jaffa as mostly black, but I think that's because initially we, we see the ancient Egyptian culture and maybe they wanted to decouple the race from the characters, but you know, wasn't an intentional choice to like make teal to, to cast a black actor in this role where slavery is a very, very common theme, right? He's it, and the word slave is used a lot throughout the show and he's fighting for his freedom from slavery to the gold. And was that a, a choice to mirror the history of slavery in the, America or was it just sort of a coincidence? I would hope it was a conscious choice, but I, I think that it is, it's heartbreaking hearing that if you don't do something, if you don't return to this horrible planet, your child is going to become a slave. At some point later, we learn that you have to have a gold, like the Jaffa physiology. I think when the kids hit puberty, you have to get implanted with a gold, like otherwise you die. So it's not like if you just never get implanted with one, you can live your life without one. So the idea that Teal'c is trying to stop it is confusing to me. Maybe do they not know that? I mean, maybe nobody's ever tried to not get implanted with the gold. And so he thinks if he doesn't get one, he'll be fine. Well, but maybe you don't. Maybe you don't have to be implanted. But you do. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we we encounter later kids that are getting to that age and they're somebody mentions if they don't get a gold, they will die. Maybe he has faith in Dr. Fraser that she's going to develop something. So this is just to buy him some time? Yeah. So in the, we're back in the boardroom and everybody wants to go back, but Hammond doesn't want them to go back. And Daniel says, as Daniel often says, dumb shit, says that there's, it's a Faustian bargain, which of course it's not, doesn't make sense. Because in a Faustian bargain, you are selling your soul or your morality, mortality for some benefit. Um, So is Daniel thinking that the benefit to becoming a Jaffa, which in effect is a slave, is that you get a longer life to be a slave? What is he saying is the Faustian bargain, him becoming a Jaffa? Yes. Yeah, I, I think I think that's what he's probably referring to, that you get the long life in exchange for being a slave. And so you don't think that's a bargain at all. I don't. I yeah. don't. I mean, I know that you guys made me the host of this one because I'm black. <laughs> <laughs> but think about it. Why would you want to live as a slave? Why would you want to prolong your life if you are just going to be a slave? What is the benefit? Life? I would rather die free than live. And we'll find out later that Bratak, Bratak, Bratak uh, is 133 years old. Do I want to live 133 years as a slave? I, I just don't see the benefit. Yeah. I mean, at, at this point, I don't think the Jaffa realize they're slaves, right? Like, or would they consider themselves slaves? Teal does because he has made himself aware that these are not gods and they're just being used by them. Um, but does the average Jaffa, I wouldn't say they consider themselves a slave. They probably consider themselves in service, you know, fighting a fight of good versus evil or, or, you know, like religious people, like they are dedicating their life to their God. I can see it. I can see it being worth it for those people who aren't aware that there is something else. 
Right. But I mean, Daniel, I'm sure Daniel and Tilk have talked. I'm, I'm sure that Tilk has, has talked about him being a, a slave and that's the yeah. reason why he left. And that's why he's been trying to turn other Jaffa, at least one, to his side. I don't know. I think, I just think that Daniel is a piece of shit. <laughs> I think Daniel can be, he can be really tone deaf. Because he's, you know, like, and we've not, we've seen this already so many times. Like he says stuff that really doesn't always land in the right way. And that seems very insensitive to what other people are experiencing. And and it's like, I don't, I know it's hard to say, I don't really blame Daniel. It's just the writers <laughs> made him say these things because um, the writers make his character. But I, I don't think we've really gotten Daniel's voice yet at this point in the series. Like, you know, and I can say this from the benefit of having seen him develop through all these seasons. Like, it doesn't feel like we really get a sense of who he is yet and, and what he's about other than Sharae, Sharae, Sharae. That's really all we get. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to hate him. Okay. He shows me different. <laughs> so we're in Hammond's office and that's when O'Neill finally drops the information that Tilk has this family and he gives a very impassioned speech. I think that Hammond has already made up his mind. I mean, he's a, he's a total softy. Sam, what do you think? Yeah. He's no, making a face. When, okay, before O'Neill reveals the family part, Hammond is being a total hard ass, almost like episode one. He's uh, almost bribing O'Neill to reveal what he knows. And then when finally, when O'Neill does say Tilk has a family, I think you're right. Hammond does relent at that part. Yeah, I think Hammond really knows how to work O'Neill. Like, I, I think he knows who he has in this man and what motivates him. But I think he also knows that O'Neill isn't just going to follow orders. Like he needs to know that what he's doing is the right thing. And so he has to give him that reason to trust him back. So we're in the gate room and uh, Tilk has started up the gate and is planning on going to Chulak by himself. Of course, Hammond disallows it. And then all of the, like two soldiers run in and try, are ready to shoot Tilk <laughs> to keep him from going to Chulak. And then Hammond says, you go by yourself, you're going to die. So as soon as he said that, I'm like, because we're going to send everybody else with you. <laughs> well, Hammond has a good point. Tilk is an asset at this point. He knows a lot of stuff about the Tauri. He also not sure why he thought he could just walk out. It's a pretty secure facility. The yeah. And like the gate is controlled by not him, so... You mean it's it's not controlled by that one button that he presses to stop it <laughs> on the really old, like, it looked like an Apple IIe. Oh, that was funny. <laughs> Just shut it all down. <laughs> Just like escape. <laughs> Control, I'll delete. Yeah. So then Hammond agrees that everybody should go. And the next thing we see is everybody's dressed as turtles, a <laughs> turtle priest. I was like, where did you get these outfits? Maybe they made them. That's hilarious. Are they out there? Do they have, do you think they have like um, the SGC personnel? Do they have like a, somebody who is in charge of making disguises for the team as they need? Because it has to be classified, right? Were they going to order that from a store and say, I need you to make these turtle priest outfits by this afternoon, please? 
don't ask questions. <laughs> Did they also draw the little tattoos yeah. on them too? Oh my God. Yeah. I liked how they were also standing on the ramp and Tilk had his helmet on, but it was open. And I was like, uh, he's going to shut it. <laughs> he's going to shut it. What if you're, what if you have a long nose? I could see that thing taking off the tip of your nose if you're not careful. Well, how can you even see your whole face is covered by the metal part? The <laughs> eyes of the, of the snake are up way up high over your head. There's gotta be some kind of display inside of it. Maybe that's the advantage of it. You get some kind of like HUD display or like. Like the predator, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So they jump through the wormhole and they're at Chulak and everybody's ready for them. We have priests. We have Jafar. The priests speak English, by the way. They didn't in the Children of the Gods, but now they do. They learned real fast. <laughs> Just pointing that out. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I liked how you get some kind of understanding of the hierarchy because um, when the turtle priest like stops, tries to stop Tilk, he grabs him and is like, tells him that, no, this is how it's going to be. So it, it's interesting that the Jaffa, I would think rank higher than the priests. Cause I thought the priests rank higher than the Jaffa. But I think one of the priests told the Jaffa at the gate that they ordered them to do something like go surround them or something. Well, and Teal was the first prime, right? That's why his emblem is gold as opposed to just a tattoo. And I know he's trying to hide that he's Teal because everyone knows that Teal is the traitor, but I wonder if there's something about the outfit that signals that this is a, a more senior Jaffa, hmm. even if know. you can't see the gold. Did, did Braytac have the gold tattoo as well? think he does because he used to be first prime right yeah so break deck does have the gold so i think the gold is only for first primes well did you also see that the priest had a different a, a new tattoo it's like star, a circle it was a circle but then inside was like a star that was silver and black so i'm thinking that he was a higher priest oh okay which is why he's he talked back to tilk and was able to give directions to the other Jaffa that were there. Mm -hmm. So as they're leaving the gate, do you guys see Daniel sneeze and then have to run after them because it slowed him down? I thought that that was funny because we all know already that Daniel traveling through a wormhole <laughs> agitates Daniel's allergies. Yes. And so. apparently all the Benadryl he takes every day is not enough to suppress that. <laughs> So in the forest, they're cleaning off the tattoos off their heads and hiding their disguises. So why? I had that question too. Aren't they more conspicuous now? Like wouldn't want, they want to stay in disguise while they're trudging through this planet instead of in their clearly foreign uniforms? It seemed weird. Seems like a bad tactical decision. <laughs> so we go to Tilk's house and we find out that it's been burned out. And this is the kind of the first time that we actually see Tilk literally cry and get upset. I mean, Tilk is like Mr. Stoic. So this is him really showing his range. But we do, at this time, we do meet Bratak. 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 I have to say, I love Bratak. I love Tony Amendola, who plays him. He is just amazing. And he does this role. So like he has a perfect mix of like, Jaffa stoicism with humor. He's just does a great job. 
Well, he's like always the priest. He's in the priest in like so many movies um, because he does. He has this like commanding performance, but also like an underlying empathy mm-hmm. that just comes through in everything he says. And of course, I know him because he was in Annabelle and I watch horror movies constantly. So Braytac is saying all these horrible things about Carter and Daniel. And then Tilk stands up for them. And Carter, if I'm sure Sam saw this, was like, was all smiles and then realized that she shouldn't be smiling. I thought that was such a cute moment. It was very cute. It was very cute. Yeah, if I wasn't a Jack Sam shipper, I could probably be a Tilk Sam shipper. There are, you know, there are definitely Tilk Sam shipper moments that happen on occasion. Is this also where we hear the word shova? Yes. What's it? What's a shova? Traitor. Oh, okay. And he, his house got painted with the symbol of the shova, which we also see marking the like, you know, outcast camp. Quite elaborately too. And but it's interesting because it's it's like a sword with with snakes at the at the top of the sword. Which doesn't seem like something you would give a traitor. The snakes are good in this culture. Snakes are good. Swords are good. Those are powerful, two powerful things. Like give them like a chicken. (laughs) Or a kitten or something. (laughs) So we see O'Neill best. Bratak. Braytak. 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 Which seemed a little far-fetched to me, but I think it's probably because Braytac uh, underestimated them. And he's 133 years old. That's right. You might get a little, your reflexes may dumb down a bit by that age. Although he does come back and kick O'Neill's butt. Yes. Knocks him in the dust. We find out that Tilk's family are now considered traitors and they're outcasts and have been banished to a camp. And then we see uh, Carter and Daniel in the bushes and they see the turtle priests carrying an object um, with some sexy ladies and decide to follow them. Yeah, I thought they were supposed to go get back to the gate. Well, this is Sam (laughs) showing initiative. To just not listen to what she's supposed to do. Exactly. (laughs) Well, did they they know at this point that there are little gaulds in that urn thing? I don't think so. So we're at the camp and... The Primta has started and Tilk is fighting to take his son off the, the altar and somebody comes running over and starts to beat on him. And it turns out it's his wife. What's her name, Malika? <laughs> Rayak? Yeah, that's right. And actually my uh, spell check on my document where I was taking notes, corrected my spelling and put it correctly. So somebody (laughs) knows Jaffa and is uh, coding for Google Docs. (laughs) And it turns out in this scuffle, the symbiote dies. I think Dreyak is entirely like justified in her feelings of anger towards Tilk. I don't know if he had ever discussed with her his feelings about the gold or his intentions. If he can find people that he can trust to like defy them. I don't think so. So essentially she's left with no husband 
it doesn't seem like the Jaffa system has a lot of, you know, social safety net for single women, no husband, no income, no support. She gets kicked out of her house, has to figure out a way to raise this child and protect him. Uh, and Teal is like literally nowhere to be found, just completely takes off for six months. She doesn't know if he's alive or dead. I would be pretty pissed off. And then as soon, and then she finally does what, you know, the thing that she thinks is going to save her son and he comes and fucks it up. So is she a Jaffa? I mean, does she have a belly snake? Yeah. I think she has to, right? Because then where does the kid go? (laughs) I don't get that part. I don't know. Maybe they look really, really pregnant because there's baby, then belly snake in front of it. Or maybe it goes on top. (laughs) Or it's like under the baby is like, maybe you get like, not just when you get pregnant, it's not just in the front. Maybe you get like a scoliosis type. (laughs) Oh God. Maybe the pregnancy is really short because the Jaffa, the, the, um, symbiote makes it grow faster. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's like a kangaroo and the baby <laughs> comes out before nine months and crawls into the pouch with the symbiote. Oh. And they just, they're both, their little heads poke out for feedings. <laughs> I think these are all good ideas. We don't really know. And we never really know. I, I still don't think that I understand that she's really angry, but there is never an excuse for slapping your husband. That is domestic violence. <laughs> I mean, he gives it back to her, but it seems like they need to work on their communication skills as a couple. They do. They are quite a warrior like people, kind of like Klingons. I think Jafar remind me of Klingons a lot. And Klingons are known for, I guess, their rough ways. <laughs> She is very beautiful. I w- I was wondering, and she was wearing a miniskirt, but I loved her outfit. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. You like the miniskirt with the knee pads? Yeah, I loved it. I loved the whole thing. She was very uh, Xena warrior princess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the questions that I had was, did Tilk pick her? Is this a love marriage or is this an Apophis marriage? Do the Jaffas, are they assigned wives? Or is this a love match? Because it didn't, at least at this point in the episode, it didn't feel like a love match. I don't know. I don't think we really know how, what the custom is. I mean, I think that there is, does seem to be like affection between them. I think she's, I think she's really mad at him as she should be, but it didn't seem like they would, were necessarily unhappy before this all happened. They were happy enough to have a kid. Yeah. So then we are back with Carter and Daniel and they see the procession goes to a temple, uh, which was horribly rendered. It was so badly designed and built. I've seen high school plays with better sets. Yeah, I agree. It was kind of like a weird like shack temple. Yeah, it didn't look any better on the (laughs) Blu-ray disc. So we're at the camp and we find out that Tilk's son is actually dying and O'Neill diagnoses it as scarlet fever and gives him some kind of crazy antibiotics from a powder that makes the water turn yellow. I don't know what he gave him. What, what, have you guys ever heard of antibiotics in powdered form? Well, is scarlet fever a bacteria or a virus? Yeah, that's my question. I don't know. 
and he says vaccine. You can't. There's vaccines. Which by the time you get it, a vaccine isn't that useful. And O'Neill should know that, um, as we all know, <laughs> vaccines prevent illness, don't cure illness. But also, like Jaffa physiology is different enough than humans that I would hesitate to make like battlefield diagnoses like that, having no medical experience. Okay, it's a bacteria, so it antibiotics might have helped. If that's in fact what it is. So then we're back with Carter and Daniel and they're stealing a larva and putting it in a thermos. So I love Sam's like reaching in and grabbing that. <laughs> That's exactly how I would be if somebody asked me to do this. Also, I feel like you should be concerned that it was going to like, can it go in through your hand? Can you be infected with a gold through your hand? I guess these are really young. Like if they're not even ready for a Jaffa yet, that I, I guess they can't really implant in a host yet yeah do they have jaws is that how they go in you know whenever you see their faces it looks like they have a mouth with two like very sharp like pinchers. edges yeah it's, yeah almost like pinchers but if we remember they jump so if you reach your hand in why wouldn't it possibly jump out into your neck yeah i would think that you should have industrial military grade tongs right? Maybe like a scarf on your neck. (laughs) (laughs) A silky scarf. I don't think that's going to cut it. Just something to like, I don't know, prevent that implantation. Do the physics support the fact that they can jump? Like, can can a snake in real life jump? I mean, what's, what's its leverage? Exactly. That's what What does it jump off of? But it jumped from that one guy who was dying into Kowalski. Well, so, it's not those little flippers. Some <laughs> of them do, and some of them don't have the flippers. They're not consistent in what these snakes look like, especially once we move to CGI. But like some of them are like that beige color. Some of them, maybe there's different races of gold. Some of them are darker. Some of them have like little the wingy things. Some of them don't. Well, this one is the first time that we got like a really good up close perspective and we saw that they even have eyes yeah had eyes that was creepy <laughs> they're so gross <laughs> they are gross they are gross <laughs> and of course uh they only take one yeah so maybe two thermoses if it's like a backup <laughs> or just throw in another one right like you can smush them in for a couple hours right and of course daniel carter's like don't do anything to them. Leave them. We don't want to draw attention. And then Daniel shoots it all up, alerting, not only killing them all, but also uh, alerting every single person within what, like five miles. Um, and of course it's all for Sheree. Yeah. Massive Daniel fail, massive yeah. fail. And yeah. And well, so she says, don't do it. Cause if you kill them at this point, when they're this vulnerable, you're no better than the gold. And I wonder if she really believed that if she was just trying to appeal to Daniel's like humanitarian sensibilities, because I don't think that's true, right? They're born evil, pretty much. They have genetic memory. But do they know that yet? Maybe not, but they have no problem with like experimenting on them and they probably would kill it when it's done. So I don't, I don't think anyone really has a problem with killing them. Well, I think this reveals a bit of a dark side with Daniel though. Yeah. He never fails to remind me why I think he's a shit. <laughs> it, it, it was definitely, I mean, considering she just said, don't do it. 
like knowing the kind of danger it would put not only them in, but also O'Neill and Teal and, and Teal's son, it seems so reckless and so unnecessary. And he seemed very satisfied after he did it because he's a dick. So they're in the woods with Teal's whole family. And we find out that Rayak, Ryak, Ryak, like rye bread. Yeah, Ryak. That Ryak is dying. And actually, Tilk's wife says um, he's not breathing anymore. And Tilk goes through so much pain in deciding to, to give his life and his larva to his son to make sure that he lives. So was the plan, the plan was to get Ryak and Dreak through the Stargate, right? And then he would ho- hopefully be assisted once he gets there. And they just ran out of time to do that, right? Right. So why do they leave them behind at the end? Because he couldn't be moved. I also didn't understand that. Yeah, it, it did seem unusual to me because, I mean, here's Tilk dying because he, he is given his larva away. But then he's strong enough with a larva that's not even mature enough to be implanted. He's strong enough to go through the gate and go back. But he leaves his family because his family is going to be seen as even more of a traitor, right? Well, yeah, but he tells them. So first, I think what Teal'c is because he wasn't otherwise sick. He got sick because the gold left his, his body and his body gets weaker. But once he gets the new gold, also his body maybe is used to having a gold. And because Ryak is just getting one for the first time. I don't know. That's why. But he tells them to he tells his wife to tell them that he he's the one that killed the priest and he forced her to do this. But yeah, seems very risky. Yeah, they are. I mean, we already know that Apophis has no uh, sympathy for Tilk's family. It seems even if. Uh, Dreak says, you know, it was all Tilk. He did everything. He's who is he going to punish? Right. Not on the planet. Well, uh, Braytech is left there and we don't know how he's going to get out of this, but he says not. he tells him not to worry about him, but maybe he's able to protect them in some way. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. So too. And then we are back with Carter and Daniel and they're being shot at by the Gaffa. Jaffa. Uh, Jaffa. <laughs> the Jaffa. And uh, of course, Carter comes through and saves Daniel's life. Not only did she use a grenade to kill all of their pursuers, but she also, literally, she is protecting Daniel. She is, Daniel's cowering like the shit that he is. And she is covering him from the blast, right? She's definitely awesome. Daniel is not awesome in this episode in any way. So you're not, you're not sold on Daniel yet. No, no. I, I want to, cause I like everybody else. I want to like Daniel, but at every turn when he is given the opportunity to do something good, he does something bad. So I am, I want him. I want to cheer for Daniel, but he is a bad person. <laughs> I'm going to say, I don't know if he's a bad person. I think he makes impulsive decisions that end up causing more trouble. But I think he thinks he's doing the right thing. Yeah, of course. I, I, I'm waiting. I want him to redeem himself in my eyes. To be less of a dumbass. Right. But we are 
in episode 11. <laughs> he's still a dumbass. <laughs> and he's never chosen the right thing. So we're with Tilk and of course he's dying. And when they come running, when Carter and Daniel come running through the forest and it turns out that they have another larva in the thermos and the music's like, everything's going to be great now. We are going to save everybody. It was great. And this is when we see that the larvas have eyes, which was extra creepy. Very creepy. Yeah. And that look. That, that Tilt gives when it goes into him. I don't know, was that pain or was that ecstasy? It's, so remember we talked about the O-face of the Jaffa in the first yeah. episode? I guess we do see Tilt's like symbiote O-face. I never re- remember that last time I saw this episode, but it's a little discomforting. It is. Symbiote O-face, that's good. <laughs> yeah, they held it a little too long. <laughs> oh, so Tilt gets a baby Gaul then. So Till can go on for quite some time now. Yeah, kind of resets his timeline. Yeah. Because we don't know, we don't know how long these little larva golds are good. It's at least a few years. I think it's a, a number of years before they mature, but we don't really know. I have a cold. That's why I sound like this. <laughs> so what happens when more larva matures? And so then you need to find a host for it to go into. And do you get another one? Is it like you get another one? Yeah. Okay. Which is why I'm like, that's, that's a lot of larval ghoul that they need to just have on hand. If, I mean, I guess the ghoul don't really care if a Jaffa dies here or there because they don't have enough. And I think if you're too old, they just stop giving them to you and you die. But yeah, that's gotta be a lot because there's a lot of Jaffa. You think they would have protected the larval ghoul, right? There was yeah. no one around that little shrine area. Well, Daniel says, who's going to steal one? But maybe if, if there's not enough to go around. Yeah. There must be enough. It seems like still. Like there's not, they're not concerned that a single person on this planet wants to harm the gold. They will at this point, no, keep them protected. Yeah. Well, But I mean, you wouldn't want to harm them because they are part of your religious structure your gods so you wouldn't right it just just strikes me as like those movies where the evil person is like reveals their evil plan and decrees that somebody dies and then leaves the room with them still alive like don't you just want to just on the off chance (laughs) like make sure they're dead before you leave the room or like make sure these things are guarded i don't know so where do they come from how are they getting all of these symbiotes we will learn more. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So this moment where Teal gives his symbiote to Ryak, I thought it was actually quite touching where he's like, I'm sorry to be the one that has to do this to you. And then he later tells him that they will stand side by side in battle to free his people from the false gods. So those moments between Teal and his son were pretty poignant. Yeah. <laughs> you don't think so? Well, no. So, so my favorite show is Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And uh, the captain on that show is uh, Cisco, Captain Cisco, played by Avery Brooks, which I, who I love. Avery Brooks is always, has always been concerned that he will be portrayed as a, um, a black man leaving his black child behind. Cause that's what, um, he plays a widower captain on Deep Space Nine. He has a child. And at the end of that series, the writers wrote him out. He pretty much left to go be like a, 
Louis yeah, I never really out. understood what exactly he was going to do. Yeah, he, he just, he left. He left his family. And Avery Brooks never really liked that ending because he did not want to portray a, a person of color leaving his son behind. And we see that also with Worf on yeah, TNG and yeah. his son, even though Worf is not a, you know, Worf is a Klingon, um, not a human. But this reminded me of that trope, I guess. I don't know what he would really call that. And yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I think that's a, what, of yeah. like the, the black father, the absent right. black father. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I, I, it reminded me of. And this is the first time I've seen that. I, I always thought they kind of did Teal'c's family wrong in the show. Like, I mean, it's, it's easy to say, okay, he's a Jaffa. They have a different culture than humans, whatever. But it seems like they could have easily, if not at this particular moment, then soon after this, brought Ryak and Dreyak to Earth to join him, right? I mean, maybe she didn't want to go. I don't know. But I, I, like just leaving them, it didn't, it seemed like there are many ways they could have accommodated being reunited with his family that they didn't choose to do and I just don't I don't know if he would have tolerated that because he he it doesn't seem like he wanted to leave them like he loves his son very much he was willing to die for him he loves his wife although they don't seem all that moving towards reconciliation but you know choosing to keep him separated from them seem like an odd choice like if they're going to write them into the show so that he has a family it seems like they should have been more involved yeah i'm trying to think about my response to this trope and i i think that avery brooks is that his name avery um has a valid concern but are we seeing this trope because we know the stereotype so we're sensitive to it the stereotype is that Black fathers leave their their families. So that's why we are seeing this as an extension of that. I think, I mean, I think it's complicated because like we said, it's like, you know, is this a parallel for American slavery? Is this, you know, like there's, it's sort of a convenient excuse because Teal'c is not human. So, you know, is it fair to say that this is a trope of human behavior, but he is also the only person of color on the show, really. Yeah. I mean, almost entirely for most of the show. So there's a lot that gets attached to his character. And I, and I just don't think they had a good way of dealing with his family at all. And I don't, I think they did Teal'c as a character disservice by not engaging with it more. They do some and we'll see more, but I don't know. It seems like as a parent, it seems like being separated from your young child. I mean, Ryak is what, like eight, eight years old, something like that would be like a daily trauma that doesn't seem to come up that frequently. Maybe it's not so much race in that it's just bad parenting because we will, small spoiler, we will encounter another father who has some issues, parent issues. So maybe yeah, all just, these people are fucked up with their families. Maybe just a bad, bad father, <laughs> bad father trope. So maybe it's the writers, their fathers left them <laughs> and they were raised by- They're working it through in this show. Yeah. They, they never saw a positive father role model that stayed. And so they're, they're so one guy kills his kid. One guy's abandons his kid. <laughs> one guy is overbearing to his kid. Um, well, and like the uh, Teal says this, like he's leaving him now so that he can protect his future. And that becomes a running thing. Like he's, it's not that he wants to leave his kid so he can go be an explorer, but 
he's doing it to, to free his people so that his son doesn't have to grow up and live in slavery. Mm-hmm. So is that being a really good father, right? He's not only saving his son, but saving all this, the kids, the Jaffa kids. No, I can see that. I don't, I definitely don't think that he wanted to, to leave his family there. Back at the gate and Bratak, say it again. Braytac. Braytac. Kick some ass for a 130-year-old Annabelle priest. <laughs> he kicks some butt, takes them all out. And we see Braytac agreeing to raise uh, Tilk's son for him and make him into a great warrior like his dad. I thought that was touching. But how the hell does he get out of this? How is he going to fucking explain these dead priests? He just is like, doesn't seem remotely concerned about it. And it seems like someone's going to care that you just like, he didn't kill them, but he knocked them out. I think he should kill them because they can identify him. say that Teal did it? Sure. Anybody. Say, <laughs> bury their bodies. Like <laughs> he can jump over fire. He can do whatever he wants, but you can't leave witnesses. I don't know that he's like a cold-blooded murderer though. Like he'll kill people in battle, but killing an unconscious priest seems not something he's inclined to do. After 133 years, you got to have a place to stash bodies. <laughs> or they can send them through the wormhole with their symbiotes and then they, they're, boom, you have another one to study. That's true. Why didn't uh, the mom give her symbiote to the kid, right? If she has one, she could have given it up. Maybe she would have if Teal hadn't. I mean, had she tried, Teal would have been like, hell no, I'm doing it. That's true. Like he never would have let her do it. But I I think at this point they hadn't, like, I think they weren't sure if the women got Goulds too. And so they didn't make it, but we later learned that they do. And also you only write kids into shows as principal characters once the show is running off into a ditch, especially in the 90s. We had like, well, we had Wesley Crutcher on on TNG from the get-go. Granted, nobody loved him, but- (laughs) was there i didn't even watch that show and i know that jake sisko was on there from the beginning Mm -hmm. and then there was another cosby show cosby show with the raven yeah so you you your show has jumped the shark and to save it you bring on an an extra kid that you get from someplace else the mindy project oh i I just stopped watching she got pregnant at some point i stopped watching it exactly maybe that's and that was that was to keep viewers and you're just like it's it's already run off into a ditch bring on a kid So what, what kind of chevrons would you guys give this episode? Rose? I give this episode a four. I like, this is our first Teal episode where he actually gets to be himself and not just sort of stand there. So I like that we get more of his personality and his backstory and see him expand his range a little bit as a character and as an actor. So I go with, with a four. It's not one of my favorites. Still think there's some plot holes and Daniel's kind of annoying in this one. Sam. Yeah. I remember really liking this episode when I first watched it. I was a little bothered by some of the stereotypes that I recognized. So I would maybe give it a four and a half because I do. So I really like the character deal. And I, I like that we get to learn a little bit more about his backstory. Well, I'm going to blow all of your minds. I'm giving it a five. My first five. Wow. I liked it. I thought Yes, I agree. Plot holes. Daniel is still a shit, but Tilk had a lot of range. They actually let him have feelings and not just a totally blank face. And I thought that the 
analogy to slavery was well flushed out. So I, I like that. I like that we actually um, were culturally competent for like a second. So that was nice. So what what changes would you guys make? What would you like to see if this was made redone today? I think the mild domestic violence that we see would be either more pronounced so that it's like seen as intentionally putting domestic violence into this relationship. Like it could be that that's part of this culture or part of their relationship, but it would be, I think, more intentional or explicit that that's what's going on or it'd be taken out so that it isn't domestic violence. Because it seemed like there was definite, didn't seem like that was the first time those two had been physical with each other like that. And I don't, I, I think it was very common for women to slap men that they were in relationships with back in this time. And that is really domestic violence. And I think uh, that would not be acceptable. I mean, in the 90s and 2000s, the way that women were portrayed is if you're angry to put a put an exclamation point on whatever you're upset about, you slap the guy. Yeah. And it's it's also a tired trope. Or throw a drink in someone's face. Yeah. It's not useful and over way overdone. No, I I agree. I think that instead of a slap, there would have been they would have talked it out. And it would, it would have made the transition to her being, having the talk with Tilk later at the end of the episode, um, which was sensitive and understanding of the position that they were in and actually showed the love between them. It wouldn't have been so stark. So thank you for joining us for Bloodlines episode 11. Next week, Fire and Water episode 12. Thank you for joining us. Have a good week. Bye. Give him like a chicken. (laughs) Or a kitten or something. (laughs) Like us and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Even if you don't like us, you can still like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Probing the Wormhole, on Twitter at Probing Wormhole. Also visit us on our website, probingthewormhole.com. Thank you.